Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles and join me in the book of the Acts. Text will be found in Acts chapter 9, but we're going to start in Acts chapter 11 in a few moments as we conclude our study of the, the man Barnabas. We've taken a few weeks to look at this individual who tends to blend into the background of the New Testament. Yet there is so much that we can learn from him. When, when we lived in Maine, we were two miles from the ocean. And when we would visit my wife's parents, they lived on the, the Jersey Shore, close, close to the coast. And, and as a result of that, I did, developed a very healthy respect for the ocean. Well, most of Maine's coast is very rugged. It's a rocky coast. It's, it's very picturesque. Two miles from our house was seven miles of sandy beach. So the, the sand in Maine was in that area. It was kind of a cove area. It was nice to walk on. The water was very cold. Um, but at low tide, you could walk out quite a ways. And it would be fun. It was fun to do with the kids. Uh, but you also had to keep an eye on where the tide was. Because if you got out there and the tide started coming in, it would cut off those land bridges and, and you were either going to have to wade through the cold water or if it got too deep, swim, which for an adult wasn't a big deal. But when you have children with you, it, it becomes more of a concern. Normally, our beach was not one that would be subject to rip tides or rip currents. But every now and then, that would happen. Now, in New Jersey, that was a much greater concern. And if, whenever we would go to, over to the coast there, that was always something that you would be aware of. That's, you know, for, if you've grown up in Arizona, you na- may not know what those are, but they're, when the weather is such that it kind of builds up a sandbar further out, and as the water comes in, it cuts a certain sp- spot through that, a channel, and then the current pulls out into the water. And so if you're coming in, you're actually fighting against it. And if you get caught in that, it's a very strong current. We had one year in Maine, though, where a number of storms and a particularly um, heavy storm off the coast developed the conditions where this was very serious. And I, I remember they were, they were interviewing a lifeguard at the next town down, which shared that seven miles of sand. And they were talking about how in just about a week's time, they had pulled 14 people out of the water that had gotten caught in those rip currents. And even as they were interviewing this lifeguard, he had to cut off the interview to go help somebody else that had gotten caught. When we look at the life of Barnabas, he strikes me as almost a spiritual lifeguard. He's looking for people who might be in need, that he can encourage, that he can help. And, And if they're caught off guard, he seeks to be there to help them. Every mention we find of him in the book of Acts is one of him encouraging and helping others. We began our study at the beginning of this month. We looked at at Acts chapter 11, and we saw how his character was such that it really allowed him to impact the lives of others. We saw several things about his character, and I'm just putting these bullet points back up so that you can be reminded, or if you weren't with us, you can see these. He had a reputation of a person of commitment. He was a, it says in chapter 11, verse 24, he was a man who was full of faith. He was a good man. 
He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And by faith, he believed that God could work in the lives of others. He, he would look at the change in lives such as Paul or Saul. And so we saw that. We saw that he was a team player. When, when word came to the church in Jerusalem that there had been this, this work of God at Antioch, well, the church in Jerusalem sends Barnabas. They want him to go and, and check out what's taking place. He had a reputation for being committed to ministry. He was investing in lives for the sake of eternity. And he was willing to inconvenience himself and, and do that for the sake of ministry. He, he had family in Jerusalem, but he goes to Antioch. And so we, we saw that. He, he was discerning of God's will. It says in, in verse 23 of chapter 11, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. I mean, Antioch was a pagan city. In fact, in, in the story, Ben-Hur, in both the movie and the book, the, the chariot race is placed in Antioch. That, that was kind of the culture. There, it, was, it was a Roman city, and, and all of the vices of Rome would be there as well. But when, when Barnabas went, he could see God's working. He had vision that really opened the door for future ministry. We saw that he was a dependable person. At the end of chapter 11, verses 29 and 30, there was a famine that had, had come, and it was over the area, but it was especially hitting the, the believers in Jerusalem. And so this primary Gentile church at Antioch sends support, sends help. They, they take their benevolence offering and send it to the, the predominantly Jewish church in Jerusalem. And when they're looking for people to take it, it says in verse 30, and this they did, and they sent it, by, it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. He was trustworthy. He was trusted. And then we saw that he also challenged others to be faithful. Back in verse 23 of, of chapter 11 of Acts, it says, When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them, all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. So he's excited, and then he continues to encourage them to press on. Two weeks ago, we saw how even a good man like Barnabas, with his patience and compassion, was negatively impacted by others. And, and there's that statement in, in Galatians 2, as, as Paul is, is concerned about the attack on the gospel. And he mentions how he confronted Peter publicly to his face. But he makes that passing statement that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. And almost like it was this shock to Paul. And, and so we, we saw how that can happen, but really said that the, the things that we need to understand is that if we're going to stand to have that concern for others, but also to, to not be swayed, we've got to be anchored in the Word. We have to be governed by biblical principle, not simply drawn along by, by relationships, but we have to be investing in the lives of others that we would see that type of an influence and impact for others. This evening, I want us to, to really consider Barnabas as the builder of other leaders. He was a man that, as I mentioned, he, he's kind of like the background decor of the New Testament picture. But when we see him and we see the investment that he has, he is investing in the lives of others. And I think because of that, it can encourage us that we would do the same. 
You know, Barnabas doesn't strike us as, as having this tremendous intellect or this, that he's full of impressive ideas, that, that he's the visionary that, that's got all the church programs for the new church to advance ministry. But whenever we see him, we see him on the side of sympathy and concern for the other lives of others. He's like that lifeguard on, on duty, watching out for the spiritual concern of others. Is the name of Joseph. And yet when the apostles met him and got to know him, they said, no, you're, you're the son of encouragement, the son of exhortation. So they changed his name from Joseph, Joseph to Barnabas, and that's how we know him. And that son of consolation or exhortation, the, the Greek word is the same for both. F.B. Meyer, a pastor of many years ago, said, if I had my life to over again, I would devote much more time to the ministry of comfort and encouragement. J. Oswald Sanders, in his classic work, Spiritual Leadership, said, great leaders have always been great encouragers. And when we read the letters of Paul, when we read through God's word breathed out through the instrument of Paul, we find that Paul was an encourager. In fact, encouragement is listed as one of the spiritual gifts. In, Rev in Romans 12, verse 8, it's, it's listed as one of the gifts of exhortation and encouragement. But it's not a gift that gets a lot of attention today. We, we tend to rely on technique, on program of, of what we can do, and yet what we find is here's somebody who would come alongside. Paul did that also. We find it in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. He said, finally, my brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord that you should abound more and more, and just as you received from us how you ought to walk to please God. He, he said, we're trying to encourage you in this. He did it in, in, second, or in 1 Timothy 2. Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplication, prayers, intercession, the giving of thanks be made for all men. I encourage you to pray, is what Paul was saying. He, he, he says that in Titus as well. Titus 2, verse 9, exhort others, exhort servants to be obedient. In, ver, in Titus 2, 15, these things speak and exhort. The ministry of exhortation. In 2 Corinthians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. The comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That when we go through trials and difficulties and realizing one of the reasons for those is God will use those that we can then be an encouragement to others that we can touch their lives, and, and recognizing this as an important aspect of ministry. And over and over, and you can read through the, the Pauline epistles and see this taking place. But you know, as, as you think about it, I, I wonder if Paul may have learned some of that from Barnabas. Barnabas was the one who took Paul in and encouraged him. They had a close relationship, and, and there's a, a relationship between the name that is given, son of encouragement, son of consolation, and his character. As we talked about this morning with, with the names of God, they reveal his character. That's why he had this name. That's why Barnabas was given this, because he was an encourager. And this evening, I want us to look beyond just his personal character to his influence. 
One of the remarkable aspects of his life was he was influential in really moving others forward in their leadership. He doesn't stand out as that shining light of leadership in the early church, though it appears that he had a a certain level of leadership. He was the go-to person when they needed somebody to go to Antioch. He was the one they sent out, and, and we find in a number of these passages, his name is listed first. It's Barnabas and Saul. But he was one who would give courage to those who had a weaker faith. He, he would make that, that struggling faith grow. And while he tends to blend into the background, he takes care to have others excel. And so going back to Sanders' book, he says leadership is influence. It's the ability of one person to influence others. You know, we live in a generation that's not really interested in, in leadership. But the understanding that it's really an aspect of who do we influence? Who do you influence? And as we're looking at coming into a a new year, we're we're talking uh, about the new students, both for Tri-City Christian Academy, for International Baptist College and Seminary, others that are returning, others that God will bring to us, that we could have that opportunity to influence. And stepping in and, and leaning into their lives. If you're a parent, you have to be doing this with your children. We want to be influencing them in the right direction. And and that there not be that resistance to leadership, to authority, and particularly to to spiritual leadership. One pastor years ago said, opposition to Christian leadership is not born out of great vision, but little resentments. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. And so Sanders goes on and talks about the characteristics of biblical leadership, that, it, that it's authoritative, that, it, that it's the allowing the Holy Spirit to work to encourage others. It's not authoritarian, which is putting undue pressure and trying to control, but having a vision, knowing where we're going. It's spiritual, that it's not simply natural leadership. It, it's not, well, I just, I'm not a good leader. No, it's a confidence that God can work. It's a God confidence. It's, it's a delight in obeying the Lord. It, it's, not, it's not that they like to boss other people around. You know, that's what children like to do. They want to be in charge. But that's not what we talk about when we're talking biblical leadership. It's that desire to say, I want to serve God and see him work in the lives of others. So, so a man like Barnabas will go to Antioch. He'll see what God's doing. He's excited. And then he still continues to put that pressure on, keep going. Continue in the things that you have learned. It's also the idea of of being sacrificial. And Sanders builds on this in in his book that it's not simply influence, it's the heart of a spiritual leader is the heart of a servant. And recognizing this aspect. And recognizing the responsibilities that we have, that as a ministry, that we would raise up those that can go forth into ministry. This was one of my desires when I was a youth pastor, that I wanted our our young people to be able to take spiritual leadership where they would go and and understanding the importance of that and that that would be our desire as a church, that we would raise up that aspect. Well, Barnabas was instrumental in that. We know of at least two great leaders that he influenced. I suspect that there were probably more. Not because Scripture tells us that, but but that tends to be the characteristic of this type of person. 
that, that they are investing in the lives of others, that they're, they're encouraging them just in words that they say, the by the way. I, I think there were probably many others in the church at Antioch that would point to Barnabas and say, you know, he really encouraged me. But we know that this is the case with, with Paul, that Barnabas was really the first one to truly offer Christian friendship to Paul when he came to Jerusalem. We also know that he invested in the life of John Mark that he went, Mark went with them on the first missionary journey. He, he abandoned them in Pamphylia. And, and because of that, several years later, Paul wasn't comfortable having John Mark join them again. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago that there actually became a pretty strong disagreement. And as a result, we had two mission teams go forth. The gospel multiplied. And Barnabas took John Mark with him. And as a result of that, Mark grew. In fact, to the point that later when Paul writes to Timothy in his second letter, the last one that he writes, he said, bring Mark for he is profitable to me in the ministry. So I I lay this out for our encouragement to say, okay, who are we influencing? And before we jump to the conclusion and say, well, that's not me, I, I can't, I couldn't invest in making leaders. Listen to the words of Charles Spurgeon that great preacher from the 19th century. Here's what he says about uh, the housekeeper at the school that he attended as a teenager. So when he went to school as a teenager, this was the person kind of overseeing things. Her name was Mary King. He said, she liked something very sweet indeed, good, strong doctrine. But she lived as strongly as she fed strongly. And many a time we were gone over what vital goodness meant. And I do believe I learned more from her than I should have learned from six doctors of divinity at this day and age. He said it was that woman at the school investing in his life and the lives of others. And we see that taking place. Now, some of the most important things that we will ever do for the cause of Christ in investing in the lives of others may not be noticed for 20 or 30 years. But God can use us to invest in others. So what characteristics are needed for that? Well, I think there are certain qualities that we can see, and I just kind of I want to walk through these this evening to encourage us and see these from the, the life of Barnabas. One is that there's a spiritual boldness. Being willing to take risks in support of of other leaders. And I've had you turn to chapter 9. I've already mentioned this this situation. But this this is the Damascus Road conversion of Saul. As he's going to persecute Christians as, as he's going to Damascus and he encounters the Lord. And, and we, we know the story, if you're familiar with that. All of this happens. Ananias, he said, God sends Ananias, the Lord sends Ananias to Saul. And it, it's almost humorous as Ananias and say, well, Lord, I've heard about this guy. Let me tell you about him. Like God doesn't know. But he says that he is a chosen vessel for me. And that's verse 30, or in verse 15, go. He's a, he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. In verse 16, and I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. He's been persecuting Christians. He will now be persecuted as a Christian. 
And, and so the Lord sends Ananias. But when, when Saul comes to Jerusalem, drop down to verse 26, he, he wants to join with the other Christians. He, he's desiring to join with the Christians. It says in verse 26, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and, and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of, of the Lord Jesus and disputed with the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarshish. But notice what happens. Saul comes to Jerusalem, and he's been ostracized by others. He wants to join the disciples. And they're like, no, we're not buying this. And you really can't blame him. I mean, this, this was a man who was aggressive in, in his zeal in persecuting Christians. He would burst into their homes and drag men and women off to prison. He had no qualms about throwing them in prison. And, and these disciples had probably had to comfort families. They may have had to console people who lost loved ones because of the persecution. You can't really blame them for not buying the story. It's like, yeah, well, he's just using this to try to get in with us. And, and they're not comfortable. But it was Barnabas that had a spiritual boldness and was willing to take that chance. And notice the result of that in verse 31. Then the churches throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and comforted by the Holy Spirit, and they multiplied. I mean, Paul, Saul was, was the strong arm for the high priest. He was the one doing the dirty work in Jerusalem. And without that, there's now a, a peace that is taking place. He had, it's because of Barnabas that he had the courage to befriend him and to bring him in and to take that risk. That, that if we're going to see God work in the lives of others, sometimes it, it involves taking that spiritual risk, recognizing that. The second thing that we see is there's a spiritual perception. Having a good eye and a glad heart for those that, that the, in whom the Lord is working. Bar, Barnabas could look beyond the imperfections. He, he could see God's grace. And I, I think that's one of the reasons he was the one sent to Antioch. This is a pagan city. They're, they're going to come with their pagan baggage. There are going to be a, a number of things that are going to have to be taught. But he could see the direction that somebody was going, not just where they were. He could recognize the destination. He could see, are they leaning into spiritual things or are they pulling away? And that's one of the things that we have to be able to discern if we're going to properly encourage and exhort and necessarily rebuke. Is someone leaning into spiritual things or, or are they active but they're, they're trying to find ways to pull back? And that takes a, an element of spiritual perception. You know, is, is there a, a fervency? Is there something there? Are there flames that need to be fanned? You know, when, when we were in Maine, we, the first winter we were there, there was an ice storm that came through and it knocked out power. 
and being without power in Maine in the winter is like being without power in Arizona in the summer. You, you, you really can't survive with that for very long. And our power was not out for very long, but we, we had people in our church that were without power for over a week. And it was a serious situation. Well, we had just moved into the house. We had a fireplace, but we thought, well, that's not going to do a lot of good if we lose power for a long time. So, so we bought a wood-burning insert that would go into the fireplace that you could put the wood in, and it would kick the heat back out into the room rather than it going up the chimney. And we, we really enjoyed that, and we would use it quite a bit, especially when it got brutally cold. And it, was, it wasn't a huge insert, but we could pack it pretty full, and I could get it full at night, and we'd go to bed, and, and it would stay going all night long, and especially when we were having the very frigid temperatures. And I'd get up in the morning, and you'd look at it, and all you'd see is the white ash. But if you put your hand in, you could feel that there were still embers underneath that ash. And with a little bit of kindling and a, a little bit of air, you could get the flames going again and keep it from dying out. You know, Barnabas was the type of man who could sense the spiritual embers and understand that there was a warmth there. He recognized that this, these were flames that needed to be fanned and, and understood how important that was. And this is a responsibility and an opportunity that we have. But it takes spiritual perception to see that. A third one is it takes a spiritual optimism. It's, the, it's believing that God can work and is working. It's, it's developing that positive faith attitude instead of a spirit of fear. And, and I think this is a big need in our day. Because frankly, we, we are inundated with things that should make us fearful things that can go wrong, things that are out of our control, and all the bad things that can happen. And our media bombards us with this, and and we need to be aware, we need to be wise, we need to be wise as, as serpents, harmless as doves, but we shouldn't be living by fear. That shouldn't be what motivates us. It ought to be a positive faith attitude. I think this was the positive attitude of Barnabas that caused him to, to see the concerns of, for John Mark, that take him into his, under his wing and into his care to say, this is somebody who can go forward. It says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind, that we would live by faith. And, and this isn't always easy, I mean, especially as a parent. Especially in a ministry when we have a lot of children around, we're always aware of that. I, we were talking about this, my wife and I, the other day. I, our, our son is currently in Malawi, and I, he sent me an email. He knows that I like to, to know what his flights are, and I tend to follow those. I track the flight, see where he is. I go to bed at night. He's still flying. Wake up in the morning. He hasn't gotten there. And, and we, I get this email, and, and we're going back and forth. And he says, yes, he said, there was a pastor from from." Florida that was supposed to be joining me on this trip. He's going for camps abroad. They're doing a a Christian camp in Malawi. And Christopher actually went with him uh, last year. And and he said, you know, this pastor was supposed to go, but he didn't get his passport. He said, so I'm going alone. It's like, and this is the first I'm learning of this? (laughs) His mom doesn't know? (laughs) And it's like, you know, we would rather him not go on this trip by himself. And I had to say, "But, but God's in control. God was in control of the passport. God knew. He, he, he's been there before. He knows the people. And yet, I look at that and say, and we were talking and saying, you know, it, it really is exciting to see our, our kids serving the Lord. 
And that's our desire. But it's not easy because my first, well, all the things that could go wrong, it's at night to have somebody else with you. Like, two th- like things can't go wrong with two people. <laughs> you know, it can still, God is in control. Do we develop that attitude with our kids? Or do they pick up the sense of fear and the concerns and all those things? And again, we're not being foolish. But we ought to develop a positive faith attitude. Because the just shall live by faith. I, I believe Barnabas had that. And you see it in his treatment of others. I think a fourth thing, though, that we see in Barnabas was there's a spiritual humility. One of the reasons that he tends to blend into the background was he was pushing other people forward. They were taking the lead. There's a spiritual attitude here. And if you want to look over at chapter 11, in in verses 25 and 26, It says, Barnabas departed for Tarshish. He's come to Antioch. He sees the need. He goes to Tarshish because he's looking for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So that the whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. How much of Barnabas' encouragement of the people there to press on, to keep forward, caused them to be identified as bearing the name of Christ and being called Christians there? And we see this taking place, but, but he's not looking for the limelight. He says, I, I need somebody else. I'm going for, for Saul. He's up at Tarshish. We'll bring him down to Antioch. It wasn't that far. And, and having him involved. In chapter 14, when they get to, to Lystra, it's in, during the missionary journey and that trip, and, and we really didn't take time to look at that. But in, in chapter 14, the local people see Barnabas and Saul, and they assume that they're gods. And they're talking, and Barnabas and Saul don't realize all that's going on, and and when they do, they try to dissuade them. But that says in in chapter 14, they considered Barnabas to be Zeus, and Saul, Paul, to be Hermes, or Mercury, by the Roman name. Well, Hermes was the messenger for Zeus. He was the spokesman. He was the outspoken one, but Zeus was the chief deity of Greek mythology. So they viewed Barnabas as being the chief god. Now when when Paul and Barnabas realize what they're doing, they're saying, we're just men, we're men like you, and and don't do this. And, And so they dissuade them from that. But I think it's interesting that they viewed Barnabas as being the lead. We think of Paul. And that's how it's going to develop. Paul is going to be the leader. He's going to be the foremost. But Barnabas was willing to push him forward. And and you see, this is the other side of his encouragement. Now, if you're a son of encouragement, you're probably less likely to get killed than you are as the spokesman like Paul. And he faced a lot of persecution. But Barnabas wasn't willing to push him forward. He wanted to see others excel. I think a fifth thing that we see is that spiritual vision. A development for a passion for people, not merely things. If you want to turn over to 1 Corinthians with me. In 1 Corinthians, we find Barnabas again. The first time we see him is in Acts chapter 4. 
And we looked at this some, some time back as, as he's selling possessions to meet needs, to give to the church, to see ministry go forward. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, probably 20 years later, we find him working again. Look at verse 4. Paul is, Paul is talking about the pattern of self-denial and, and that they had rights as apostles and as ministers that, that they were not using, but that they really legitimately could. He says in verse 4, Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we have, have no right to take a believing wife and as do also other apostles and brothers of the Lord and Cephas as Peter? Verse 6, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working. And, and what he is saying is that it, we get the impression here that Barnabas was refusing to take the gifts of the church at Corinth because he didn't want that to hinder ministry. He wasn't ministering for money. He was doing it to see the work go forward. And he felt like this church is not mature enough to properly understand. Their immaturity is such that, that they're going to say, well, you're just in it for the money. And for that reason, Barnabas wasn't taking what he legitimately could for the sake of ministry. He refused the pay. He didn't want that to be a stumbling block because he knew the Lord was going to meet his needs and he was investing for eternity. And we see these points, I think, exhibited in the life of Barnabas. See, when a, when a person develops spiritual leaders, they're when they're at ease, when their mind wanders, they, they think about people. They envision potential. They look for opportunities to invest. We have many people like that here at Tri-City Baptist Church that, that they're looking for and investing in the lives of others and encouraging. And I hear the conversation just in passing. Somebody said, well, we're looking to do this and we're wanting to help them. And that's one of the reasons for our fifth Sunday fellowships, to encourage that. It's, it's dreaming of maximizing influence on other people for the sake of the gospel. They're, they're not envisioning stuff. And, and I say this, and I, I've spent time taking us through Barnabas because I, I think it's a great example for us here at Tri-City. Tri-City is an influential ministry. I think we have influence beyond our size, and it, it's really because of, of the vision of those who have gone before and those of you that have been here serving. You know, the vision of Pastor Singleton, of, of Pastor Mike, the establishment of educational institutions that, that from preschool through the Christian school, through the college to the seminary, and then having a mission board. And the establishment of these educational institutions and mission boards that we can send forth, and then having a dedicated staff that invest in the lives of children and young people, young men and women that are training, that we can, we can show them the love of Christ. As, as Pastor Nathan regularly says with IBCS, the sun never sets on our graduates. The sun never sets on those who have been sent out from Tri-City Baptist Church. And part of our ministry is IBCS. But those that are, we are reaching around the world and the ministries that are going forth and, and lives that have been touched, uh, like a James Ewan who came here as an I-20 student. And it was here that he trusted the Lord. And then as he was trained, and now he's serving in Hong Kong. Those that have been reached at ASU, like Josh De La Rosa, roommate of Ben Miller, 
hearing the gospel and, and getting this degree and then getting an education at, at IBCS and training and, and now serving in the Philippines and seeing the ministry go forth of those that have come like a Solomon Raju and a Josiah Wambua, Shea Babalola, Sada, and they've gone forth. Those that are going out under international Baptist missions and that are, are preparing to go like the Asoros, the Utleys, and others. And I remind us of this, and many of you are familiar with these names, and some of, them, some of you are not, and you will get to know these names, but we have others coming in just a few weeks that can also go forth, and that we would invest as we look at new students at Tri-City Christian Academy, International Baptist College and Seminaries, our Revive group goes down to ASU and the outreaches, and they come here. Who will you encourage? It's not just the job of the faculty. That's, that's what we do as a church ministry. Say, well, I couldn't teach one of those classes. No, but you can make a home away from home for a student. You can befriend you can be that person that is investing in their lives. Like Charles Spurgeon talked about that housekeeper at his school. You know, as I thought about this, I thought of all the people we have here that do that. Our, our faculty and staff do that and so many others. But I thought of Jim Perrin. And how many testimonies of him touching lives as he would do landscape. He'd drive his car and say, get in. And what would he do? He would encourage he would exhort. He would be a, a Barnabas. And so many others that do that. Now here is, here is a man, Barnabas, who stood with Paul in Jerusalem. And what a great work God did. Well, we don't have any words that Barnabas wrote under divine inspiration. One third of the New Testament is written by those that he influenced. Between Paul and his epistles and John Mark in his gospel. He stood with John Mark when, when others were saying no, when Paul said no, I don't think he, it's a good idea. And later Paul said, he's useful to me. He stood with the church at Antioch, a new church in a pagan culture and encouraged them and taught them so that that then becomes the sending church the, the home base for missions. But to do that, we have to make ourselves available. It takes time to touch lives, and not just in structured times, but, but those casual, by the way. That's, that's why we encourage fellowship. That's why we intentionally structure our evening service so we get done before the kids, and, and it gives us time for that. That we do have that opportunity. It means watching for those who may be getting knocked off their feet by the waves, getting pulled the wrong direction by the riptide of our culture, and saying, hey, I'm here for you, encouraging them. That we would take the challenge of F.B. Meyer. If I had my life over again, I would devote much more time to the ministry of comfort and encouragement. Well, would we do that with the life we have before us? to encourage others, and not just our students, but that's a great place to start because we see the, the multiplication of ministry, but one another in our small groups, our care and shares, our, our adult Bible fellowships, that we would take that vision, that we would strive to be like a Barnabas. He was a man of character, a man of compassion, 
but he was a builder of leaders. Let's pray not only that we can meet people and tell them about Jesus, but pray that God will use us to touch the lives of others within our church family and those around us that we can encourage to serve the Lord. Let's bow for prayer.